morning all, I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 48, the whole chapter. So bear with me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what, it, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with, one's, with one Simon, a tenor, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the six hours to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Raise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the things, and the thing had, was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the man who was sent to by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit says to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Raise Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. 
The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relative and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he walked, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send me therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee, from the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we were witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even onto the Gentiles, 
for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peggy. Am I am I on? I, hello, hello. Is that working? Hello, hello. This one there. Hello, hello. 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 Alright. Hi. Right. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Hello. Is that working? No, I No? No, okay. I'm just gonna turn it off. It's not that I can't be heard either. Although there is, there are people. Okay. Beautiful. Well, thanks for reading, Peggy. <clears throat> That's a long reading, isn't it? Don't you, aren't you glad that I gave you that reading? Hey, I did that for you especially, Peggy, this morning. Um, that's the kind of guy I am, just trying to be kind. Hey, Kurt, I was just wondering, are we saying anything about Nick this morning? Were you going to mention him at all? Yeah, are you happy for me to say so? Yeah. So you, you might see a guy with a young guy, curly hair, red shirt, running around the place wondering who he is. He's not stealing your children. Just in case you're wondering, he's actually a, one of our youth works, our Anglican Youth Works Year 13 students uh, who has just started in the last couple of weeks with us. So there's two guys, Dan uh, and Nick. And Nick is going to be here every Sunday morning helping out with the kids' program. So if you see him around, say good day to him. He's a lovely guy. They've come down from Queensland. Uh, they'll spend the year here and um, uh, they're just really keen to serve and to grow in their love of God together. So uh, encourage him and if you see him, he's here to help us, uh, which is great. Let me pray and let's uh, look at this passage together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this time together. Uh, we do pray that it would be helpful to us as we reflect on who you are, the unchanging God, the God who uh, is at work in this world still today, bringing people from death to life, giving them hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that as Cornelius uh, is brought into your kingdom, that we would see that there is no one who is not uh, loved by you and not able to be saved as they put their faith in Jesus. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I wonder whether you are prejudiced or you think you're prejudiced. I, am I prejudiced? Prejudiced. Uh, I kind of like to think that I'm not, um, but I had a bit of a reality check a few months back. Uh, I was visiting a friend in Western Sydney. I had a little bit of time to kill, so I thought I'd go to a cafe out there until it was time to arrive at my destination. And so I went into a, a local shopping centre uh, to find a cafe. But as soon as I walked in through the, the, through the doors, I kind of realised that I was in unfamiliar territory. Uh, the smells were different. Uh, the styles of shops were different. Uh, the, the clothing styles were different. There was a, a cafe there, but it didn't look like it was the kind of cafe that would have good coffee. Uh, and then all of a sudden it struck me, wow, here I am venturing out of my little eastern suburbs bubble uh, for just a moment, and I find myself looking down, potentially, looking down on people and places I don't even know. I mean, people who, just like me, have been made by God in his image 
and who are dearly and deeply loved by him. I mean, Australia uh, has been a multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic society for decades now. Uh, as Christians, I, can I say, we should be incredibly positive about that. And not just because it has helped us kind of get beyond the meat and three veg as a staple diet, but, um, which of course has been a great thing, but because the Christian message is one that brings people together in unity. No matter what our race, our culture, our gender, our status in life, we come together through the gospel. Now, of course, the idea of multiculturalism was to bring together a society from different laws and cultures, uh, hoping we'd be able to live together in harmony. And in some ways, we've done very well. However, we've also found that there have been clashes in culture. There have been times when we have struggled to live side by side in harmony. Our sinfulness at times results in our inability to get on or perhaps to look down on one another. And it may not mean that we always clash. It may just simply mean an unwillingness to associate with another because of our differences. Well, today we actually come to another incredibly, uh, incredibly important part in the book of Acts. It's our final sermon in this particular series on Acts. Uh, but the cultural, religious and social and political barriers between Jews and Gentiles, uh, Jews and non-Jews, is possibly the greatest barrier, human barrier, that our world has ever known. Uh, we might not feel it today, but if we lived back in the first century, it would be very, very clear. But God is not going to allow that situation to continue. And we're going to come to the details on that in a minute. But before we do, this is, a, as we've already seen, a very long passage. Uh, here are the three things I'm going to focus on in this passage as we look at it today. Uh, in fact, the first thing is Peter is the rock upon whom Christ would build his church. So the importance of the Apostle Peter. Uh, secondly, God is the universal ministry missionary who does not discriminate. It's his purpose to reach people in the world. And thirdly, Jesus is the judge of all who offers peace to all. But first, Luke turns our attention back to Peter for a moment. Uh, last week you saw the dramatic conversion of Saul in the first part of chapter 9. Now the Apostle Peter is all of a sudden back in centre stage. And the events in these uh, last few verses of chapter 9, uh, which I'm, we didn't read, but I'm going to take us there for a moment, uh, they actually serve as the Apostle Peter's preparation for his role in the kind of mind-blowing events in chapter 10 that we're about to see. Now, in fact, all of chapters 1 to 9 have been about, in some way, Peter's preparation for what is about to come in chapter 10. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched those kind of crazy guys and girls who travel the world looking for the biggest waves to surf. Uh, they seem to have a, a bit of a death wish to me. Uh, but these guys, can I say, they're not unprepared. They walk into danger, but they're not unprepared. Uh, actually, they're thoroughly prepared for the enormity of what they're doing because waves can hold you down uh, for, under the water for a long period of time uh, in a bit of a washing machine kind of effect. And so to prepare for that, they train their lungs to be held, disoriented, underwater for minutes. So they do things like walking on the bottom of the ocean, uh, holding boulders to keep them down for one, two, three minutes, even more, to train their breathing for a massive wipeout and a hold down. Now, you know, I'm drawing this kind of, you know, tenuous link here, but Peter has been prepared incredibly well for what is about to happen in chapter 10. God has been preparing him for the mission that he has given him. Uh, even though he doesn't fully understand all that it entails at this point in time. And so in this last section of, of chapter 9, there are three things 
that continue Peter's preparation to be the rock upon which Christ would build his church. And that is, the first thing is the healing of, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, I'm saying Aeneas, all right, Aeneas. It doesn't matter, I'm saying Aeneas, okay? Uh, and the apostles are travelling around preaching the gospel. Uh, Peter comes to Lydda, you'll see it there on the map, it's not far from the coast. Uh, he comes there and he comes across this guy called Aeneas uh, who has been crippled for eight years. So let me just pick it up at chapter 9, verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Uh, Remember, Aeneas is a a cripple. Uh, In Judaism, that means he was an outcast, unable to enter the temple, unable to come into God's presence. And in fact, in Jewish thinking, it was that someone who was crippled was actually under the judgment of God. But Peter had seen Jesus Christ heal the sick, the lame, the outcast, and welcome them in. And so Peter here, notice he calls on the name of Jesus. He calls on Jesus to heal this man. The man who hasn't walked for eight years, uh, well known obviously in his society, gets straight to his feet and the result is that great numbers of people turn to trust in Jesus. And Peter gets that Jesus continues to break down barriers, that the gospel continues to transform lives. Well, the second uh, little event that happens a short distance away on the coast of Joppa, again, you can see it there just out on the coast from Lydda, um, and here they meet Tabitha. Tabitha is a dearly loved godly woman full of good works who has died. The crowds have called for Peter from Joppa, have called for Peter to come, uh, and when he arrives, Tabitha's body has been prepared for burial. And then in a scene that closely resembles Jesus, remember, raising of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, Peter comes to Tabitha and prays, knowing that only God can raise the dead. And he does. Tabitha is raised. The result, once more, in verse 42, is that many believe in the Lord. Here is Jesus continuing to do his work through the Apostle Peter. And these two extraordinary events are intended to be signs that authenticate Peter as as a genuine apostle of Jesus Christ, continuing Jesus' work. And so people heard the word, they saw the signs, and many believed. And Peter gets it, right? The gospel's power was greater even than death. Now the final thing in this passage that prepares Peter uh, and is showing that he is beginning to get what Jesus is doing is one little line right at the very end of this section in verse 43 of chapter 9. See what it says there? And he, that is Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, Simon, uh, a tanner, was an unclean Jew. His job involved touching dead animals, which made him ritually unclean. But Peter gets it, because now, now he can stay with Simon. He wouldn't have been able to do that as a Jew in the past, but because the gospel has broken down that barrier, he can stay with Simon. See, being with, right with God is not about being clean or unclean, It's about trusting in Jesus. Now, all of this is part of God's preparation of Peter for what comes next. Because while Peter might get it for unclean Jews, what about unclean Gentiles? Well, this next event is going to convince Peter, and uh, hopefully us, that God is the universal missionary who does not discriminate. 
And if you want to get a sense of the importance of this event, you only have to kind of notice the weight that Luke gives to it. So we've just had a, a four verses of a healing. We've had eight verses on a raising of the dead. But he gives 66 verses to Cornelius' conversion here. I mean, Saul's, that we saw last week, Saul's may be the most famous conversion, but it's not the most important one. Cornelius's conversion to Christianity may be the most important conversion in all of history. Now, Cornelius, remember, is the first Gentile, uh, the first non-Jew to become a Christian. And then he disappears from the pages of history, so you don't see Cornelius again, but nothing was ever the same after this particular event. If the gospel had not come to the Gentiles, then you or I wouldn't be sitting here today. Christianity would, like, would likely just be a small Jewish sect, like a little growth on the rump of Judaism. And of course you won't see this event written up in normal history books, but the truth is this event might actually be one of the most history-shaping events of all time. So let's just have a look at it, because in the first century, this chasm existed between both Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Israel had been chosen by God, remember, out of all of the nations of the earth to to be his people, to live separately from them, to live for God. Uh, God had made a special covenant with them, uh, an agreement. All the males were circumcised as a mark of their contract with God. Uh, Part of the contract or the covenant was a bunch of food laws, that represented being clean or unclean before God. We read about it in Deuteronomy 11 or in, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 14 or in Leviticus 11. Uh, and the reason that was given is that God is a holy God, that he is completely pure and set apart from his creation. And so as God's chosen people, Israel were to be distinctive, set apart from the nations. And so here, Peter can't believe... Uh, You can't believe it when a Gentile is converted. It's a moment, if you like, of cognitive dissonance. Had to look it up, really. But anyway, uh, in his mind, he knows that God is God, the God of the whole world. He's heard that Jesus' Jesus command to take the gospel to all nations, but that God would accept Gentiles without them first becoming Jews, getting circumcised, keeping the law. Now, that's not what Peter was expecting. But it's exactly why Peter and not Saul, who had been cast as the apostle to the Gentiles, remember, but it's why Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles and baptised the first Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. See, um, Peter gives authenticity to what is going on here. Just as he, remember, he authenticated the Samaritans receiving the gospel and through him receiving the Holy Spirit, just a couple of chapters earlier. And so let's have a look at this extraordinary event. Uh, Cornelius is a pagan Gentile. Uh, he's from Caesarea. Uh, so again, just up the coast there from Joppa. He's from Caesarea. Uh, he's a centurion in the Roman army. Uh, but he's a God-fearer. He's also a uh, prayerful and a generous man, we're told, in, uh, by uh, Luke. And in verse 3, an angel of God comes to him and tells him to send for Peter, who is staying with Simon in Joppa. And so he sends away, he immediately obeys a delegation to go and look for this guy called Peter. Now, at the same time, notice God is preparing Peter uh, for something that he's not going to want to do, to go into an unclean Gentile's house. And so God gives Peter, at the same time, a vision to get his attention. 
Uh, let's just pick it up if we can at the end of verse 10 of chapter 10 there. Peter fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came, to him a, a voice, came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now there's a, a mixture of both clean and unclean animals in this vision. I'm not going to go into the details of that, but you can look it up in the Old Testament. Uh, Peter's a Christian now, but he's also been a good Jew all of his life, and so he's never eaten what the Jews considered to be unclean. It's an interesting conversation here between God and Peter, notice. Uh, verse 13, God says to Peter, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, No, Lord, because I'm being obedient to you. See the irony there? I mean, God says to Peter, eat this, it's clean. Peter says, no, God, I'm doing what you say. Uh, that is, I want to honour and obey you. No, he doesn't. Peter still thinks it's all about the law. But there's an important lesson in verse 14 for us, I think, isn't there? No and Lord should not ever be in the same sentence, right? It's never an appropriate response to God. God says to do something, we say no, those two things should not go together. But clearly, both Cornelius and Peter see God at work in their respective visions here. And so by the time Cornelius' delegation arrives uh, down in Joppa, God, by his spirit in verse 19, has prepared Peter to go with them back to Cornelius in Caesarea. Uh, when they arrive, Cornelius, uh, notice, has gathered a crowd of his household, his relatives, his friends, and it's probably fair to say that Peter doesn't get off to a great start when he arrives. Have a look from verse 28 there in chapter 10. And he said to them, Peter said to them, you, yourself, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Now, in one sense, you can kind of feel Peter's discomfort at being a, uh, in a Gentile's home for the first time against Jewish law. It's not really a great opening for a sermon, though, is it? I, you know, I don't really want to be here, but God says I should. So why have you really sent for me? You know, that's not the greatest start. But he's the great preacher of the gospel, not sounding fantastically smart right at this point in time. But Cornelius tells him about the vision God has given him. And look at verse 33. He says, So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so finally, Peter gets on a roll. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know, finally, Peter realises that God is indeed impartial. He is not prejudiced in any way. He doesn't discriminate against anyone. He shows no favouritism to Israel or to anyone else. See, God's salvation is for every nation and for anyone who fears him. And see, Peter now realises that this is true. 
It doesn't, however, stop him and those with him from being astonished over in verses 44 and 45 when the gift of the Holy Spirit is then poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had only ever come upon the prophets. But in the New Age, the promise was that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out on all the children of God. And so Israel's national religion here is over. Now there was an international religion. You're not a Christian because you're born into it. You're a Christian because you believe the good news about Jesus. So this was kind of a mind-blowing moment. It was a history-altering event. See, God is not only the God of Israel, he is the God of all the world. There's no race prejudice when it comes to God. And so imagine how wrong it would be for us to show any form of race prejudice. As Christians, we must go out of our way to demonstrate our love for people, no matter where they come from. So what's the point now then of being an Israelite? Well, in chapter 15, verse 9, just a little bit on in Acts, we're told that God actually makes no distinction between us and them, between Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile alike are cleansed and come into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ alone. See, Christianity is not primarily a human movement. It's the work of God. He is the universal missionary. But notice that it's only through Jesus that God's salvation comes. See, because, see what he says there? Because Jesus is the judge of all who offers peace to all. Now let's just pick up this final section in verse 36. So he says, And as for the word that he, that is God, sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You know, we sometimes wonder how to, you know, I'm talking to my friends and I want to tell them about Jesus. Uh, how do I summarise or articulate exactly what the gospel is? And can I say that this little short sentence here is one of the clearest statements of the gospel that you will ever get. Uh, peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You cannot celebrate peace without including the Prince of Peace. The gospel, notice, is a message of peace through Jesus, who is Lord of all. There is no person in this world over whom Jesus is not Lord, whether they realise it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. And his message and offer to you and me to the atheist, the agnostic, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the secularist, the Jew, the Gentile, the message is a message of and an offer of peace. And the way that Jesus brings peace is what Peter goes on to explain it in the following verses. The message of peace that God sends to the world is a person. It's Jesus himself. And the gospel message can't, sorry, wasn't given to a bloke kind of sitting alone in a cave, writing down a whole bunch of things that came into his head. See verse 37? You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. See, what Jesus said and did was publicly and visibly available. It was therefore verifiable. It could be tested. And notice the three things about Jesus that Peter mentions. He mentions the three things, his life, his death, and his resurrection. In, in verses 38 to 39, remember he says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good, healing the sick, casting out demons, bringing peace. The coming of Jesus Christ 
was, if you like, the arrival and the foretaste of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you um, noticed uh, Pedro Green. I see it all the time because I can see it straight out my back window. Uh, Pedro Green is that new massive big complex by Meriton Apartments next to East Garden Shopping Centre. Um, well, the first thing they built of Pedrid Green uh, was the display units, the display suites. See, before any of the main building was built, you could walk through the display suites and get a sense of what was coming. There was a foretaste of the future of what would be Pedrid Green Apartments. And in a sense here, the life of Jesus, as he lived and walked and acted on earth, was a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is coming when Jesus Christ returns. It began when Jesus entered the world. And we got a foretaste of what it's going to be like when he returns. Well, the second way that Jesus brings peace, notice here he says, is through his death. Now, the reference to Jesus hanging on a tree uh, was a, a reference to him taking on the curse of God, which is exactly what hanging on a tree meant. But the curse he took was our curse. The death of Jesus pays the penalty for human sin. But Peter is quick to show notice that death is not the end here because God raised Jesus to life again and the resurrection is so critical to the whole book of Acts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it teaches us that Christ's resurrection guarantees our future resurrection as well. And he goes on to say, of course, all of this was witnessed. Verse 41, we saw him. The risen Jesus ate and drank with us. And here's the message that he commanded us to preach, Peter said, to all people. See verse 42, Peter says, we were commanded to preach that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. See, God has appointed Jesus to be judge of the living and the dead. Now, can I say, the living and the dead is a very comprehensive category. Um, I'm not sure if you know anyone outside of those two categories. Um, but no one is what he's saying. No one will face the judgment. Of, no one will escape the judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all and he is judge of all. So if you're sitting here today and thinking that this is irrelevant for your life, then you actually need to think again. God's love for you has placed you in this room here this morning so that you can know with certainty that he is offering you peace with him through Jesus. That's great news, isn't it? But also that there's no other way. But for everyone, Christian, Jew, Islamist, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, male, female, left-wing, right-wing, gay, straight, old, young, poor, poor, rich, female, male, all those, whether you're from Ireland or Asia or India, everyone, no matter who you are, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins, peace, life, through the name of the resurrected Jesus. The outside of the resurrection of Jesus... I don't know of any other hope for humankind. There's been a drought of consistent gospel proclamation in our country for several decades now. The impact of secularism, you know, doing life without God as if he doesn't exist. The impact of that in our society that has uh, uh, sorry, it's replaced Christianity is leaving such a vacuum within our society. That in turn, I think is giving us a great opportunity 
to present the gospel. The gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. No exceptions. I wonder if you'd pray with me that God would wake us up to the opportunities that lie before us in a nation, a community, a world that is lost without Jesus. We have a hope that we can offer to the world. Let's pray that we do it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this spectacular event here in Acts chapter 10 that in some ways it would be so easy for us to read past in the story and not recognise the importance of it. Father, you saved Cornelius and from that moment the good news of salvation has been spreading throughout our world. It has changed continents. It has transformed people's lives. It has brought hope in the midst of death and darkness. And Father, it still does that today. Father, it's too easy for us to sit here being thankful for it without being willing to share it. Please grant us the courage to make Jesus known so that those who don't know him might know that he is Lord of them and Saviour of them as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, friends.